Hello and welcome to the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Which is this campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness, a six-week online program in partnership with Walk that'll give you a next-level understanding of the evidence-based principles of advertising effectiveness. The very same principles we've used to create this. The most effective advertising campaign in the world. Over the coming years, you'll experience a campaign that's perfectly budgeted and targeted over both the short and long terms and replete with emotion, distinctive assets, and most importantly, creativity. It will at some point result in you visiting our website, mae.academy, signing up, becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, and also becoming a piece of hard evidence that this is in fact the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the WARC podcast. My name is Rika Facundo, and I'm the Asia editor. The consumption of entertaining content, especially online, globally, and particularly in Asia, cannot be understated. As consumers, I know it's how I like to relax, learn new things, connect with others, and it's influencing the way we discover brands and shop. But what does this mean for marketers who want to leverage this new format? And what does the rise of entertaining content mean against other shifts that we're seeing happening in the industry around media effectiveness? Joining me here today to unpack some of those questions are Manjusha, who is the B2B marketing lead at TikTok APAC, Kunal Sinha, Group Chief Strategy Officer at MNC Sachi Indonesia, and Leah Jackson, Head of Digital Marketing at Goodman Fielder. Together, they'll be putting different hats in our conversation from media to agency and to brand, but they'll also share some of the insights from our recent thought leadership paper in collaboration with TikTok about the effectiveness of entertainment. Welcome, everyone. Hello. 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 Awesome. Love the chorus of hellos that we have. All right, let's get into it. Interesting topic about entertainment. But to start, I want to throw some statistics um, the way of the group here. So according to a report by data.ai, 200 billion hours have been spent on entertainment short form videos. So I want to help our listeners take a step back. Arguably, content that seeks to entertain audiences from commercial gain is nothing new. Back in the day, showing my age here a little bit, we had the likes of MTV and whatnot. But what's different about now and this era of entertainment for the media industry in particular? What's possible now that wasn't before? And and for this, um, I'd love to throw the question uh, to Manjusha. Hello once again, everyone. Thank you so much, Rika, for having me here today. You are right. Um, absolutely. Entertainment is nothing new. People have been seeking entertainment to lift their spirits as a form of relaxation and even expression at times. Um, I think what's changed is with the advent of big data and algorithm, entertainment has become more personalized, tailored to individual preferences and interests. This allows for a more immersive, engaging entertainment experience. Talking about APAC, APAC has always been digitally savvy. Um, And definitely, pandemic has accelerated the adoption of digital media uh, within the region. According to one stat by the World Bank, they added around 37 million individuals in Southeast Asia um, gained access to internet during the first year of the pandemic. In Southeast Asia, Japan and Korea, people spend anywhere between 6 to 10 hours a day online. Platforms like TikTok are embracing new users. TikTok's recommendation algorithm, which was selected as one of the top 10 global breakthrough technologies by MIT in 2021, mainly satisfies each user's specific interests. 
thanks to this technology, TikTok now has over 1 billion users coming every month from all over the world. Now that we've seen our user base um, and diversity grow tremendously, we have young mothers, financial experts, teachers, families, grandparents, you name it, perform, come to our platform for a variety of activities. It could be finding new good recipes, getting sound financial recommendations, or even making their travel plans. This age of engaging uh, and personalized, personalized entertainment is what we call as um, age of content at TikTok, which is driven by a video-first, mobile-first generation who are looking at platforms uh, that allow for discovery and self-expression. Fundamentally, I think what was in the hands of a few talented, um, privileged artists to reach, create and participate in has now been democratized thanks to the advent of technology. And I think that's what's changed. So what I'm hearing from you, Manjusha, about what's different about our region is that entertaining content is happening at the intersection of another trend, which is a lot of people going on the internet for the very first time. We have huge population here. And the second one is big data and personalization. We talked about MTV earlier, which is kind of more broad, broadband or broadcast rather, but now it feels like what you're watching feels more um, personalized to you. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, how entertaining content is like in different parts of the region. So um, Kunal, you're based in Indonesia. How are you seeing um, trends or behaviors around the adoption of entertaining content um, in your part of the world? Any nuances for marketers to take note of in Asia? Sure. Again, um, wonderful to be here uh, talking to all of you about something that's really close to my heart. What I've been really seeing is that the behaviors or trends that we see today are rooted in one thing, which is the social nature of content. When people create entertaining content, they're looking for fame, they're looking for popularity. But fame has another dimension. As much as it creates admiration, it also can open you up for criticism or ridicule which is why people are increasingly concerned about online safety and platforms that provide them, give them the comfort of being themselves and expressing themselves in the way they want to and to belong to communities that they want to. And the same thing applies to brands as well, because brands also want to pursue fame. They want admirers, they want followers, and they're also worried about safety. In this open world, anyone can express their opinion about a brand and that opinion can be magnified through content uh, which can take the form of different emotions. Those get magnified through social media. But what's really interesting when you start looking at uh, this part of the world, when you look at the top four or five reasons why folks come online, you straight away find that it's discovery that drives them. In Indonesia, for example, 73% of internet users are online because they're looking for new ideas and inspiration. 65% are there just because they want to fill up spare time. And you can't afford to be not entertaining, and you can't afford to not spark joy if you want to uh, engage these people who are coming online and who are spending as much time as you mentioned, uh, Manjusha. So how do you entertain them? It's the same old ways, of course. 61% are watching videos, 59% are listening to music. But then it starts to get nuanced. And that's absolutely brilliant because as you analyze the data that, again, you guys refer to, you start finding clues about what really engages them. So when you look at a platform like TikTok, eight out of the top 10 hashtags 
are about these kind of emotions. They're about entertainment. Hashtag love, hashtag funny, memes, cute, fun, music, happy. And these are all wonderful opportunities to tell entertaining stories, really. All right. Um, I'm curious to hear from from Leah, um, again, globally, but you're based out of Australia. Do you see similar trends that of what Kunal is sharing or where are you seeing differences? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I would agree with both Kunal and Manjushir in terms of, you know, the trends and the, you know, acceleration of online audiences. You know, from our perspective, I think that, you know, entertainment platforms play a key role in how people engage um, and how people interact with each other, especially when, you know, in our market, we have a very multicultural society and distance has become so much greater for people to be able to form connections with their loved ones. So these social platforms and super engaging content actually gives them the ability to form those real-time connections with people as wonderful and weird and wacky as what they are. In terms of content in our market, you know, the ANZ region has always been a bit of a test pilot and a test a test region in terms of really interesting creative. And I think that what we're seeing is a split between that over-stylized, big budget, overly produced style content that we're used to seeing in advertising. And some great examples here would be Kathmandu or catch.com.au, which is an online marketplace. Both of them work with Special, um, an agency out of Auckland, and they're doing super interesting work that's really bold and adventurous and creating rupture in that very traditional space. Secondly to that, though, I think what we're also seeing is that real, raw, authentic, um, naturally produced content, which is being done at scale, and that's got the ability to work across many platforms. It reaches a far greater audience. It has greater potential for virality. And I think what we're seeing in Australia and New Zealand is a lean into using that across typical media formats and media channels, whether that be BVOD or online video, as well as those social platforms. Uh, so I think that, you know, in our market, we're super lucky that we've got those parallels working for us. And I think that irrespective of all of that, the best and most entertaining content, whether that be video, whether that be music, et cetera, really has to be underpinned by true human insight. It really needs to be brought to life by a, an element of consumer centricity and getting under the hood of what makes people tick and what makes people think and feel and act and do for that to really connect with audiences. So we have points of views from two different parts of the region, but I think there are two kind of words that stand out to me. The first one is access uh, to what Manjusha's point, access to more people in the region that allows you to scale to more people. But now that you have so many people, you're competing and trying to catch so many more people, which is why cut through even more important, which goes back to, I think, what both Kunal and Leah said, which is about connection, right? Really understanding how the audience behaves in your market. Indonesia, discovery-led, probably is true for other places. So that's kind of how we know entertainment is changing the landscape. So, uh, which brings me to my next question. And uh, Kunal, since you're holding the agency hat, from an agency perspective, knowing all of this, how is this changing how you approach your strategic uh strategic briefs and what's different from the way you are creating these briefs before? I think the biggest change that we're seeing is that strategists are no longer writing just one brief for a campaign to get that one big idea. They're now writing multiple briefs and at least two briefs as I see it. One is for the agency creatives and the other is for content creators. And the purpose of these briefs are quite different because in case of the former, 
the purpose is to draw attention for them to create content that makes the brand memorable. Whereas for the latter, it's mostly because they want their content to go viral. And these are different motivations and they elicit quite different responses, which also means that not only do strategists have to think about the customer journey, they also have to think about the campaign journey. At what stage do the influencers come in? When does the community come in? And how do they amplify the message and create a sense of belonging and create a sense of fun within that community, uh, which is really relevant to the brand? Now, to take one example, last year when we launched Truecaller in Indonesia, we leveraged three very popular content creators. These were character actors, Yayan, Rubian, Dinda Devi, and Billy Bojanger, to enact very entertaining stories about how spammers are like wolves in sheep's clothing. We dramatized their malicious intent with the brand playing the role of a protector. It was absolutely classic entertainment. But then, as a new brand, we also needed to establish that True Caller was a credible solution. So we had one of the wolves, I mean the content creators, Yayand, run a live stream which featured a cybersecurity expert and a True Caller executive to help mobile phone users understand the modus operandi of the scammers and spammers and nudge them to download the app. And that's how entertainment becomes useful and meaningful for both the audience and for the brand. I love that. I would never think of scammers like, uh, what do you say, wolves in sheep's clothing. That's that's so true. Um, I'm going to throw the question also to to Leia. Um, you know, how have your briefs to the agencies changed? And um, what are some of the common pitfalls to watch out for, especially since, you know, we're at the, the, the starting of, you know, the, this era of entertaining content? Yeah, I just want to touch back on a point that Canal raised about the two briefs, the big idea brief and the content brief. I absolutely agree with that. These are the, the conversations that we have day in, day out from a client side perspective. But I think that what we also want is there to be a red thread between everything that we do for our brands and a level of relevancy in terms of what we produce irrespective of platform. And I think there is absolutely a need for our agency partners to support the demonstration of that with what they respond to from briefs. But also there's a need and, you know, and an education and acceleration of that from a brand marketing perspective to understand the relevancy and the style of content that's fit for platform too. The challenge, I think, is that we're putting pressure on our agencies to consistently and continually come up with new ideas and be across the trends and be across, you know, all these amazing things that are happening in the space. Um, and I think it's really important for us to make sure that we're not over engineering things and then diluting what we're trying to achieve at the end of the day, which is a consumer driven response and a, and a heartfelt system one response. So I think, you know, just the client take on some of the points he were raising is that it's our job too to actually upskill ourselves to make sure that we're really cognizant of the shift in entertaining com content in the market. So in terms of creative and styles of creative that we employ, um, as a CPG business, you know, we very much rely on super relevant uh, content that's produced with a level of agility that's going to connect with an end consumer. And when we're talking about commodity products or we're talking about a product like what me, we make, which is bread or sugar, these are the type of things that most people have in their homes all the time. 
we're talking to a mass market and we have to tap into multiple insights in multiple different ways to make sure that we're really driving that level of relevancy. Um, so I think the thing for us is that we do a lot of test and trial. We often look at, you know, trying things differently to see whether or not that's going to connect with a consumer base and do more of that, while at the same time also looking at, you know, the trends that are happening what is happening in other parts of the world and adapting and adopting some of that into our market and onto our brands so that we can stand on the shoulders of giants and create this amazing content. Similarly, we'll work with content creators to input that level of authenticity that often you don't get when you're briefing big scale communications and campaigns. And we really welcome that. Many brands will fear away from having different people communicate or put their nuance on their brand or how that brand's going to show up. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're buying into a content creator or you're buying into a trend and actually allowing that to naturally flow through is super, super important to drive that cut through in market. So what I'm hearing from the last two answers from Kunal and Leah, I think the relevancy of that is even more important now and that entertaining content gives to brands to really connect with their consumers is one of the the key takeaways or one of the key things that marketers have to grapple with. And I want to now move to the conversation to another thing that they have to grapple with because it's really hard to be a marketer these days as as we know, which is not which is about performance, right? Not just performance, but brand and performance to get together. So similar to how we started earlier with some stats, I'll do something similar here as well. So you know, entertaining content is coming of age during a time of changing expectations around what results media should deliver. When Mark did a survey for a marketing toolkit, it said that 68% of APAC marketers expect to see a convergence of performance and brand on digital commerce platforms. So I'll give this question first to Manjusha. Does TikTok see uh, a shift like this with the clients that are coming to you? What are some of the concerns or new expectations that you see emerging? Um, I think, uh, Rika, as a trusted entertainment platform that delivers uh, results, TikTok's commitment um, to driving both immediate sales impact and long-term brand equity has proven actually to be quite effective. Um, brand formance is one key topic that we are closely um, um, engaging with all our partners on. Um, and we see um, as, as a platform that performance and brand marketing essentially go hand in hand. For conversion campaigns, executing full funnel, um, full funnel objectives drove more efficient results than single objective campaigns. Referring back to some of the statistics that we had as part of the white paper that VAC and TikTok worked together on uh, when entertainment meets effectiveness, there's additional evidence to show that it's more effective to mix both brand and performance objectives, um, and it often resulted in uh, better outcomes. One of our um, TikToks projects called Project Lumina, um, we showed that we get two times more conversions for both app install and conversion ads when executed, uh, when executing upper funnel, mid funnel objectives along with lower funnel objectives. So that is, in, in essence, comes down to 36% more efficient cost per acquisition and 33% higher conversion rate. To share with you all another fantastic example from one of our partners, Flip. Um, who is one of the leading payment service providers, they wanted to understand if brand ads on TikTok can help them drive like more checkouts and registrations with greater efficiency. So we partnered with them on a brand formant study. 
by comparing a control group of users who were not exposed to brand ads to an experimental group which were exposed to both brand and performance ads, the results clearly showed that TikTok brand ads led to an improvement in performance. With their full funnel strategy, Flip was um, able to achieve a 9.9% lift in conversion rate, a 10.9% improvement in cost per action. To Leah's point earlier, a test and learn mindset definitely empowers brands um, to deepen their insights and to optimize their future campaigns. Generally speaking, I think one of the caveats for marketers to be mindful is also that branding impact on performance is meant to be long-term, something that you observe over a period of time. So ideally, um, marketers should have these basics at the back of their mind while preparing um, their campaign strategy. Um, and of course, at TikTok, we have a, a wonderful team of marketing science partners to partner closely with uh, the brands to turn these challenges into opportunities. You mentioned Leia, so I'm going to point the next question to her. You mentioned that you do a test and learn approach. I'm curious, what was surprising about what you learned? What were some of the assumptions that you had to then leave behind based on the new evidence you uncovered? You can never predict human behavior. That's probably the first one. You think you know something as a marketer, we're trained to really get under the hood of what make, makes people think and act and do. But the reality is, is sometimes it's just the one little nuanced piece of content that actually connects with consumers in a way that you can never predict. Um, we do a lot of content, especially talking to mums of primary school age children. So children that are between the ages of five and 10, 11. And there's lots of preconceived notions and stereotypes around that audience and about what drives them, especially in our market. Like it's a very stereotypical sentiment or, or kind of personality type typology. And what we found through our test and learn campaign is actually the things that really connect with this audience are much more serious and much more focused around sustainability or things that they can do in their home to really benefit their families versus those meme style pieces of content that you would assume would connect with that audience. From our perspective, we're okay with taking the risks in trying different things because the ability to create content with agility and push it up and pull it down if it doesn't connect or we need to is super, super accessible to us on the platforms that we have versus how we might have gone to market in the past where we're over-investing in television commercials, for example, which makes it very, very challenging to suddenly pull off a media plan. But if I bring it back to brand and, and performance, how does that, what you shared, kind of help you to do both better compared to before? So I think there's definitely more pressure on everything we do to uh, be done with a nuance of measurement. Um, and there's more pressure on what we produce with our spend to do multiple jobs. Will it have cut through? Is it going to capture share of voice? What are the engagement metrics? What are the click throughs? Does it drive brand health? What's the you know, does it drive viewability? There's so many things that you can measure content on. Our approach to measurement and performance is comprehensive and we look at many, many, many different input sources and data sources to be able to inform why we make the decisions that we do. But ultimately, at the end of the day, in those challenges of dissecting how to use the right data sources, there's opportunity. It allows us to be more diligent in how we measure performance and how we brief and accelerate that without diluting brand and system one thinking. The role of content in our strategy is very much around driving brand advocacy by intercepting what we want to say with what consumers want to hear. And while our goal is always to achieve a super healthy ROI or ROAS, every single dollar we invest, we want to generate a return. 
analyzing all of that data from multiple sources to create super actionable insights and focus means that we're not solely lasered in on conversion or sales retention, but actually we're thinking more holistically and, and overemphasizing those, I think, can result in underfunding channels that are more effective in driving long-term brand building. So it's about really finding the intersection between those short-term metrics and those long-term metrics and those brand health pieces. My next question is to Kunal. As Leia and Manjusha pointed out, again, these expectations are starting to shift and, and anything that's new, there's some unlearning and there are clients like Leah who are already taking a test and learn approach, but maybe there are some who need to be nudged along the way. So, I mean, Kunal, could you tell us what are some of the mindsets that need to change and how have you educated clients about how to, you know, leverage both uh, brand and performance in their marketing campaigns? Oh, certainly. I, I think we've been uh, proponents of full funnel thinking and execution and that has worked for many clients and when one client looks at how the campaigns have, have performed uh, right across the funnel then they say they come back to us and we start having the conversations uh, uh, to to kind of measure the metrics and to push the needle on the metrics right through so for example the true caller mention uh, campaign that i mentioned earlier was successful in proving brand metrics right across the funnel because within six weeks of running the campaign, the total awareness for Truecaller improved from 36% to 53%. Then on the App Store, its ranking, which was way down at 250, um, it hadn't, I mean, this was part of the launch of Truecaller, so it was nowhere. It immediately went up to number 30 on the App Store. And within three months, uh, the user growth uh, was, uh, you know, was about 42%, which really shows that the entertainment uh, or the entertaining content proved to be efficient because ultimately we were able to reduce the cost of customer acquisition. I'm really uh, amazed at, you know, how close these are the numbers that you're talking about, Manjusha, the cost of customer acquisition actually uh, reduced by 33%, right? So... So obviously, you know, there is a certain efficiency uh, that uh, full funnel thinking is delivering, uh, you know, with the right kind of balance between brand and performance. But there are other learnings, uh, and these are more to do with kind of challenging category norms and helping our clients uh, become braver in trying to do things that are against what the category is doing. So uh, for the Telco Excel Axiata, they sought to rebrand themselves. We convinced them to move away from the short-term tariff and numbers war, which is so classic of the mobile network category, and it's played out through short-term conversion tactics. But our campaign sought to engage the young progressive Indonesian family with the proposition of we are more. And it told the story, again, a very entertaining story of a young woman as she moves through the different stages of her life and how the brand played a role in helping her get more at every stage of that life. The result of that were very, very significant improvements in top funnel measures. The brand awareness went up by 66% and 14% people said they would consider Excel as a brand for me and my family. And, and this was, again, a shift from most mobile uh, phone networks really focusing either on the business user or or on the young user, whereas it, in reality it is the family which is the bulk of the subscriber base of any uh, network. Yeah. So so yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, this, it's a constant re-education process 
uh, for our clients as we learn how to ba- balance and sort of complement brand and performance. I know it's a, a balance, but from what you, Leah, and, and Manjusha were sharing is that it does deliver results. So that's something that it's like a muscle, right? You got to have to keep um, exercising it and practicing it. But if I can bring it back to entertaining content, because again, this is happening um, at a time when there's a lot of pressure on media investments. What is it about entertaining content, I guess, that might be effective in delivering on both of those things? So for this, I'd love to bring it back to Manjusha. I think this is um, one question that we uh, try to answer ourselves all the time. So fundamentally, um, we think entertaining content is able to elicit an emotional connection with its audience. By engaging people's emotions, entertainment just creates more powerful and memorable experience. Entertaining content can appeal to a broader audience, making it an effective channel uh, for brands uh, to reach a large number of people. Lastly, um, one of the key objectives of brand building is also to build, reinforce positive memories and associations for the brand. This, in turn, um, builds brand equity measures such as trust and reliability. A study um, that TikTok commissioned, uh, conducted by MarketCast, shows that entertaining content drives impact across the funnel. Be it 15% higher brand affinity, 14% higher purchase intent, 15% higher likelihood to recommend. The outcome of highly entertaining content is that audience not only connects with the ad, but also is able to act on it, thereby increasing increasing the chances of marketers to move them down the funnel. TikTok's influence on modern retail is global and culture-defining. Our community has made shopping an interactive and entertaining experience that can spark um, unparalleled engagement. For this reason on TikTok, um, what we see is the path to purchase is in fact an infinity loop. It's not linear. Users enter, exit, and re-enter at different points of a consumer's path to purchase. And real-life example of how this was um, leveraged by one of the leading brands, Garnier, in Vietnam, when they promoted their um, new serum skincare product, is that it successfully generated a new demand was able to drive 30% sales uplift on Shopee sales during the 12-12 shopping festival. They leveraged a full funnel strategy that used content creators, branded hashtag challenges, and also retargeted ads that resulted in a 6% uh, lift in brand recommendation. And Garnier was the number one serum on Shopee for uh, the entire campaign month. Personally, if I share um, uh, like an experience that I had very, very recently, I follow this hashtag called as Clean Talk, very, very popular um, on TikTok. Um, I um, saw, a, discovered a product um, called as Pink Stuff. This video showed multiple ways of using this product to clean different things around the house. One of the uses was to clean and restore your white sneakers um, such that they look almost like brand new. I was so super impressed um, completely sold on it um, that I immediately purchased the product. This is a classic example of how millions are discovering new products and immediately taking action to drive it down uh, the funnel um, and thus generating a tremendous impact for brands. Thanks, Majusha. I think we all have kind of those personal stories of something that we've been influenced by from what we've seen uh, online and just doing uh, impulse buy as long as it works. So I'm happy your, sh- your shoes are very wet. I might um, ask you for a recommendation later because my shoes definitely need some <laughs> some cleaning. 
All right. I mean, everyone kind of gave some excellent examples of brands um, that have been using entertaining content. I want to understand a little bit more of their secret sauce and their playbook. So I want to now shift the conversation into some best practices that we can give to our listeners here. I remember back in my day, entertaining content for me was memes. You know, memes is uh, what, just photos, but now arguably online video is one of the main formats for entertaining content. And for this, I'll stick with Manjusha a little bit more. Short form content is one of the most, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, arguably the most popular content that uh, on TikTok that started on TikTok. So what are the merits of using um, short form video ads? And in when exactly should brands go for short form? TikTok um, actually, interestingly, does um, has started to offer long, slightly longer format videos. Um, so we do offer videos that can uh, run up to ten minutes. Um, of course, uh, those are still like much shorter than the videos on um, um, on say Netflix. Uh, essentially, I think all tech um, here, uh, what what we develop is to serve people's needs. Um, we understand that the pace of life has um, accelerated. People have uh, much more fragmented uh, time during the day than uh, than in one sitting. So um, when I'm waiting for an elevator, um, uh, I, I may or may not be able to finish an episode of Game of Thrones. But while uh, but I could certainly uh, like finish watching a couple of TikToks. So um, I think um, it offers a chance for brands to connect with consumers um, in a lot more scenarios at different touch points throughout the day. I think uh, that that's what uh, like short form videos offer. Um, a research by um, Media Science and Urimbak Bass Institute found that an average unaided brand recall for a seven second ad is nine percent, versus twelve percent for a fifteen second ad, and fifteen percent for a thirty second spot, leading to their principle that six second ads deliver almost sixty percent of the impact of a thirty second ad. The results also showed that short ads can deliver effectiveness efficiently because their ad length has diminishing returns. Most of the effect of ad length on ad awareness is delivered in the first five seconds of exposure. So um, in addition to being effective and grabbing attention, short form video ads are also cost cost effective to produce. Um, I feel brands can um, create multiple versions of their short form ads within a single photo, sh- single video shoot, um, allowing them to test um, different messaging and creative ideas without uh, breaking the bank per se. Long form ads, um, I feel, are ideal in promoting products that require a little bit uh, of more of depth and explanation um, and for targeting a more um, sophisticated audience looking for niche information. Um, in general, I think uh, we do have um, enough evidence to suggest that brands uh, should go for short form video ads when they want to capture the ever decreasing attention span and to convey their message quickly in a very concise um, manner. Ultimately, of course, um, the choice between short form and long form video ads should depend on brands goals, uh, the target audience um, and the marketing budgets. As you rightly mentioned, it depends on the objective you have, depending on what type of video length and format. You've given some uh, great ones for short form video, but maybe Kunal, you could shed some light on when should brands use long form video content? When would that be more effective? Again, in this era of when everyone has short attention spans, when is it okay to go for the long? Yeah, I think when your brand has the ability to create and influence culture, you can keep viewers glued and entertained and make them eager to share, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be for fun brands 
alone because if you look at something like uh, hashtag study talk, which is literally a live stream of college students studying and, and groups of college students observing someone studying in a dorm somewhere, you know, th those go on for hours, right? And they have hundreds of viewers at, and thousands of viewers at any one point in time. I'm going to talk about a real example of a brand, uh, which is uh, Parmata Bank again. We found that one of six customers would leave a brand if they were not happy with the brand's anti-fraud measures. And many of the frauds that are perpetrated are through fake accounts that pretend to be the bank's official account on social media. So for Parmata Bank's anti-fraud campaign, we brought a touch of cultural nuance of Indonesia in a 90-second film that was fashioned like an episode uh, from a very popular Korean drama. It showed street vendors busting the fraudster. Yeah, and you tell the story in 90 seconds, right? But we went beyond that because we featured a podcast featuring popular comedians and actors to explain how one could avoid becoming a fraud victim. Thanks to that campaign, which used entertainment to communicate a very serious message, fake accounts came down by 300% in just three weeks. So yes, a long-term, uh, you know, long-form video does work. You need to know exactly in what kind of situations uh, to leverage them, and you will get the inspiration from the content uh, on uh, video platforms themselves. So we have the case for long and the short, but in the words of Les Bennett, need both. So for Leah, I mean, can you shed some light on maybe how you use both types of formats and how would you create synergies when you do uh, a marketing campaign? Oh, I feel like we're missing a trick because we don't use a lot of long form content. Um, so I, maybe I might need to put some meetings in the diary after this is finished. I think brands use long form content best when they're trying to drive online visibility, proof of authority, demonstrate industry expertise. I think for us, rather than focus on long and short form content, we probably pivot and spend more time thinking about advertorial and editorial content and the intersection of both of those in terms of doing the dual piece of connecting our consumers with what we want to say and then connecting with our consumers in a way that they want to hear and how those two things can work in parallel. Um, and I think what we found is that when we develop content that's based on a really you know, core human truth, we do that really, really well. An example from our perspective would be when people struggle to use pastry, for example, they don't know how to make pastry rise or if they need to blind bake something in the oven before making a pie, most people either go online or they call a trusted source, which in many instances is your mom or your grandma or somebody in your family because you trust that they know how to do these things. And so tapping in those type of insights is what then helps us to create the content we create, probably more from an editorial perspective where we look for content creators that truly connect with the audience as opposed to they're just the next fun, interesting thing. So I think that's probably the direction that we take. Um, so it's more around editorial, advertorial versus long form, short form. Though maybe I need to put in a call to Canal afterwards. <laughs> Or anyone who's listening to this podcast can go and uh, connect with Leah on on LinkedIn. Uh, so I have one last question before we wrap up. You know, there is content and the message, but I think the other important nuance is the environment of which your content is playing in. And for this, I'd love to give it to Kunal. 
any advice you'd give to marketers on how to optimize their ad strategies, particularly for online video, which again is the most popular form of um, entertaining content? So there are several ways to do this. Uh, storytelling, which I referred to earlier, is the first. And stories about the wolf in sheep's clothing just don't come out of anywhere. Uh, they came because Indonesia has a love for horror and the supernatural. And then it's up to the creatives to give that an interesting twist. So content platforms are actually full of stories for brands and agencies to be inspired by. What really works sometimes is telling these stories in an episodic manner. So for example, the Koiniwa dating app in Japan used sequential storylines that kept viewers wanting more. So you build that expectation, you build that engagement with the content. The other thing which short form video has done is that it has democratized creativity. So using real people and remixing trends can really boost effectiveness. In fact, what we know is that the remixing trend currently has 39 million views on TikTok. It allows users to repurpose content, collaborate with one another. It allows them to incorporate reaction videos, just loads of entertaining possibilities. Yeah. So there's, there's so much that one can do. The other form of remixing, if I may call it that, is shoppertainment. Does it brilliantly because you're leveraging authentic users of a brand uh, and you're creating occasions for people to, uh, to interact with real people, be influenced by real people. Commercially, the GMV that's expected uh, in Asia Pacific by 2025 is about US dollars, 100 billion. Who wouldn't want to do that well? And that's a great provocation to end with, Kunal. Thank you so much to everyone for your time. If I could sum up some key takeaways, it would be that Entertaining content gives you access to more people and making sure that your brand's message is relevant to these audiences become even more important than ever. We have a lot more formats to play with, but knowing when to use it, why, and to deliver on what objectives, which can be both brand and performance, is key in really leveraging this new format. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to the Warwick Podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can also download the white paper when entertainment meets effectiveness on the WARC website. Thanks everyone for listening and talk to you again soon. <laughs>